0: Well, hey everyone, happy Mother's Day. Thanks for joining us today as we worship together and learn about God together from his word. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at First Free Church, and I wanna say a very happy Mother's Day to three very important women in my life. My wife, Jenny, who is an amazing mom, my mom, Judy, and my mother-in-law, Renee. I love you all so much. Thank you so much for everything you have done for me and our family. We love you very, very much. And we're thankful for all All our moms, not just today, but on every day. Make sure you tell your mom you love her today. You know, we've been walking through a series the last few weeks called Life Interrupted. And this is something we started that actually interrupted our previous series that we were working through on First Timothy. We're taking a break from that. We'll get back to it later because right now, all of our lives have been massively interrupted. These last couple of months have been pretty strange, haven't they? And the next several months are going to be pretty strange. And so we want to speak to that and dive into what God's Word has to say about that. And that's why we're going through the Life Interrupted series. So we're going to talk about that today. But Before we do, I just want to mention two things to you. Two things that I think are important for all of us to remember right now. The first one is that all of us are experiencing this in some different ways. So you may be experiencing a lot of anxiety or fear or frustration or concern, and maybe not concern over the coronavirus, maybe concern over the economy. But we are all experiencing this in different ways right now, and that's okay. We need to give each other some grace and be humble with our perspectives. Uh, treating others is better than ourselves. The Bible says, even though we have some different views and opinions. Emotions are very high right now, so let's be especially humble about thinking that our perspective is the only right one. You might be ready to open everything up tomorrow, but understand a lot of people are not ready. We're all in different sides of this thing. We've got to be okay with that, and and still treat each other with love and respect in the middle of that. But the other thing that I want to make sure we are clear on is that you are not alone. Now, it may feel to you, and I know I'm not talking to everybody right now. I'm talking to you, just you. It may feel to you that from what you see online and what you see in the news, everybody else has a different view than you do. I guarantee you, you are not alone. Other people are experiencing this and feeling this the same way that you are, and you just need to know that. We are in this together. You, you, you're not weird for how you're feeling about this. I know that we're getting tense now, and we're eager to get over all this thing, but we have to stay true to the principles of God's word. They will help us get through this together, and we're here for you. Now, what do you do with however you're feeling right now? Well, my encouragement to you is to stay plugged into your group. If you're part of a group here at First Free Church, or maybe you're part of a group at another church and you're just joining us for a live stream, we're we're glad to have you here too. I encourage you to stay connected to the body of Christ in that way. Support each other do video sessions together to cover Bible st- studies or or to talk through the discussion questions from our messages here. Whatever it is you're doing, stay in each other's lives, stay connected to each other. That is so important to help us to get through this together. If you're not part of a group right now, you can join one at efree.org slash groups. Would love to have you get connected to the family of God in that way. It's great to be a part of these services. It's great to be able to come into your living rooms on a weekly basis like this. That's important, but what's also important is the connection with a group of people, a smaller group of people that know you well and know what you're struggling with, that you can be open with and honest with and just talk with each other about how you're experiencing this and encourage each other. That is, after all, what the Bible says we are supposed to be doing edifying each other, encouraging one another. In fact, that's the whole point of Hebrews 10.25, which says that we're not supposed to forsake meeting together. The point of that is so that we can encourage each other. So we're still gathering online, and we're gathering in our homes, and we're gathering through video chat sessions. And as long as we are continuing to stay connected and encouraging each other, then we are fulfilling the principle in Hebrews chapter 10. You need to stay connected To your group at this time. And I want to remind you as well that if there is some need that your group is not able to meet, we want to help you with that. We're here for you at First Free Church, and we have a link on our website. If you go to efree.org, you'll see a link that says, I need help. And a lot of people have clicked that already. We've been able to help many people in, in a variety of different ways, whether it's helping out with finances because times have suddenly gotten really tough, or calling people who are feeling lonely, discouraged, struggling in some way. We've got people who are doing that. We want to be here for you to help you. You are not in this alone. Well, let's dive into our lesson for today, our message in the Life Interrupted series. We're going to talk about an individual whose life was interrupted in some really big ways. And this is actually going to take us through the next several weeks. We're going to study one person. One person who has incredible connections to what we are feeling right now because his life was interrupted over and over again. And I'm talking huge changes that he had to go through that he was not expecting. He didn't sign up for. It, it just happened to him. This is a guy who Bible scholars tell us has more parallels to the life and experience of Jesus than any other individual in the Bible. We're talking about a man named Joseph. And if you want to follow along with us, you can do that in Genesis chapter 37. If you've got a Bible, you might want to grab that right now. Turn to Genesis 37, or you can also follow along in the UVersion Bible app. Pull that up on your phone or your tablet. If you click on events, you can find First Free Church. Now, if you were here, it would just pop up automatically as the first option, but since you're there. Just search for First Free Church, you'll find it, and you'll get all of our announcements, plus you will get the passage for today, and you can read along with us. I also want to remind you, in case you're watching this and English maybe isn't your first language, if it would be helpful for you to follow along with the message in another language, you can do that by going to efree.org translate. That's efree.org translate. And what that's going to let you do is choose a different language. There are over 60 languages to choose from. And as long as you're watching this service live, we are transmitting the data to have it translated into whatever language is more helpful for you. All right, let's talk about this guy, Joseph, because Joseph had a pretty interesting family. His dad was Jacob, of Jacob and Esau fame. Now, Esau was the firstborn, Jacob was the secondborn, and back in the culture then, the firstborn son pretty much got everything. He got all the wealth, he got the the family inheritance. I mean, he was the one that was most looked after, but of course, he also had the most responsibility. He was expected to take care of the rest of the family, including his siblings, if need be. But the firstborn was a special position. Now, that was a man-made thing, really. It wasn't so much God that instituted that. I mean, if you look at God, God seems to choose oftentimes the secondborn or someone further down the line, not the firstborn. So he didn't really have anything to do with the idea of the firstborn being somehow more special than everybody else. I mean, if you look at Cain and Abel, Cain was the firstborn, Abel was the second. And, And throughout Scripture, God is known for choosing people that we wouldn't think are first in line. David wasn't exactly first in line of his brothers. Everybody thought it was going to be somebody else that would be king, but God chose David. Well, this guy Joseph, or Jacob rather, Jacob was the second born. Esau was the first born, and Esau thought that should count for something. But God chose Jacob to be the father of a great nation that would become the nation of Israel. Esau wasn't very happy about that. So those two boys had some showdowns over the years of their life together, and that set up some challenges they had. Now, Jacob had 13 children with four different wives. 13 children with four different women. Uh, and Joseph's mom in particular, and Joseph is way down the, the chain here, Joseph's mom was Jacob's favorite wife. So Jacob gave special treatment to Joseph. It was his favorite wife. Also, she couldn't have children for a long time. So when Joseph finally came along and, and, and she gives birth to him, and it's not only is it a, a child from his favorite wife, but it's a son, which in this day, again, was, was a big deal for them. This was a very special kid to Jacob. And he gave Jake, Joseph special treatment. Now, do you think that made Joseph real popular around the family dinner table? Not really. His brothers didn't like him very much. And this was a family with some ups and downs in general. I mean, on the one hand, Jacob followed God a a good amount most of the time. On the other hand, he didn't do a very good job raising his family. And showing favoritism among the boys was certainly not a good idea. Jacob did it pretty openly, as we will see. Having four different moms... With 13 different kids was probably also not a great idea. It's not exactly how God designed the relationship between a man and a woman to look like. And so that certainly caused some tension and some problems along the way. And Joseph's brothers were not great examples of morality either. In fact, we're not even going to get into all of the stuff they did because of the wide range of people who are watching right now. But I'll tell you one thing they did. One thing Joseph's brothers did to him at one point is they threw him in a pit and then they sold him as a slave to people from another country. That's pretty bad. I know there are a lot of kids watching right now, and I hope you're not getting any ideas by this. You've probably done some mean things to your brothers or sisters at some time or another, but I don't think you've ever done anything like this. This was a big deal. They did not like Joseph, and Joseph comes from a very dysfunctional family, a broken family. And so you might be wondering, why on earth would this be part of the Bible. I mean, isn't the Bible supposed to be filled with examples of people who followed God and did what was right? And you you would think so. But it's actually filled with broken and messed up people who God loved. People who sometimes obeyed God and sometimes didn't. People who learned often the hard way that if they just followed God's principles for their lives, things would go so much better for them. But even as the people we see in the Bible were broken and messed up in so many different ways, God still loved them and he cared for them. See, the Bible doesn't just show us the good like you might expect. It shows us the bad. It shows us the warts. It shows us the messiness that people had in their families. And that's one of the ways that we know that it's real. It's, it's authentic because it's not trying to cover up or hide anything and say, here are all these perfect people. Be just like them. It's saying, no, people aren't perfect. People are messed up. but God still loves them. So the Bible doesn't just show us the good. It also shows us the bad. And Joseph's family had a lot of bad. We're just going to read the first part of the story today in Genesis chapter 37 starting in verse 1. So you can follow along with us on the screen or in your Bible or in the Uversion Bible app. Whatever works best for you. Genesis 37 verse 1 says, So Jacob settled again in, in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, two of them anyway, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. We don't know what all those bad things were. We know some things later on, but we don't know what all of these things are that Joseph was reporting. But obviously, he's kind of going around his brothers. He's not talking to them about it. Most likely, he's going right to dad. And he's basically tattling on them, right? That's not going to make you real popular in the family. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him In his old age. And we know from elsewhere in the Bible that not only was he born to him in his old age, but he was also born to Jacob's favorite wife. And so it's his favorite wife, and then his favorite son born to him in his old age. It's a a recipe for problems in the family. And that's what happens. One day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph. They hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them and they couldn't say a kind word to him. All right, let's just pause right there for a minute. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me, okay? Wherever you're at right now, would you just pray with me and ask God to speak to us through the Bible this morning that we would learn some things that we can apply and live the way he wants us to live. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for these accounts that were written down for us thousands of years ago and preserved to this day so that we can understand the way you love people, even when our lives are messed up, even when our families are messed up, even when we feel like we have nowhere to turn, even when we feel like we're not sure what to do, and people are getting on our nerves, and we're all cooped up together, and and sometimes these relationships are tense, and we're frustrated, and yet you have guidance for us from your word. So help us to hear that today. Help us to, to internalize it and practice it throughout the week. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as we said, this is a dysfunctional family. There's favoritism, there's bad behavior, there's hatred, and it's going to lead to some pretty awful stuff later on. But I'm not going to get into that today. I just want to talk about the family relationships. Because right now, we are all experiencing a closeness of family, for better or for worse, in ways that we've probably never experienced before. Many many of us are stuck together, and I understand this doesn't reflect everybody. I know some people are are single or, or living on their own right now, and I understand for you this may be experienced a little bit differently. But for a lot of us who are stuck in homes with our families, it's a wonderful thing, but sometimes it's a very tense thing and a difficult thing. And so we want to talk about the family environment today. Jacob didn't do Joseph any favors by showing him favoritism. In fact, he set Joseph up for problems like pride. And, and, and Joseph kind of paraded around with his coat sometimes to let his brothers know, yeah, I'm, I'm the favorite. So Joseph is not exactly innocent entirely in all of this. And Jacob set up the brothers for animosity. He didn't even try to hide the fact that Joseph was his favorite kid. He gave him nice things that he didn't give to the other kids. Not just the robe, but other things too. He treated him so specially. And I would say that there is a lesson here for us parents. To be careful. At a time when we are cooped up together, and if you have kids, if you have multiple kids, and some of them get on your nerves more than others, it can be really easy, even unintentionally, to start to show favoritism. Maybe we don't mean to but we can start to show favoritism because this kid is respectful and polite and nice. And this kid is just, what's going on over there? And and we're upset about that. And so subconsciously, under the surface, we can start to show favoritism and not even realize it. And if we're not careful parents, if we show favoritism, it is going to drive a wedge between our kids. And they're going to have animosity toward each other. I read a story this week about a man. It's a true story. He had two sons. And one of these sons was a teenager. One of these sons was nine years old. At nighttime, like he usually would, he went into their bedrooms. He told them each good night and he left. And then mom came in and she told them each good night in their different bedrooms. And as she was in the bedroom of the nine-year-old boy, the nine-year-old told his mom, mom, dad forgot to give me a good night kiss. Now the teenage son wasn't that interested in that, obviously. But the nine-year-old still was. And so mom went and told dad and dad decided to do something fun. He quietly crept up to the boy's room. He flung open the door, pretended to be a monster, ran over to him, tickled him there in his bed, and then just hung out with him for a little while and talked and laughed for about 15 minutes, then gave him a kiss goodnight, and he walked out of the room. Well, you'll never guess what happens the next night. When mom is in there saying goodnight to the nine-year-old boy, he again says, mom, dad forgot to give me a kiss goodnight. So she walked out, found the dad, and said, hey, he wants to kiss goodnight. And so dad did the same thing. Crept up to the door, flung it open, ran in like a monster, tickled, laughed, talked 15 minutes, kissed goodnight, and he left the room. This went on for several weeks. It became sort of their nightly ritual. It was a fun thing, a bonding experience between these two. Until one night, When this dad was leaving his younger son's room and he saw that the door to his teenage son's room was cracked open. And suddenly he realized that for the last several weeks, every single night, his older son was hearing him and his younger son laughing and talking and having a great time and just listening to that from his room. And suddenly he realized, without trying to, he had been showing favoritism and potentially breeding some animosity between his kids and and hurting the relationship with his teenage son. And so he flung open his teenage son's door, and he ran in there, and they wrestled a little bit, and and they had a great time, and they were laughing and talking. And eventually he said, son, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. I'm so thankful you're my son. He said good night, and he walked out of the room. The next door... As he was walking by his son's room, the teenage son called him in and said, Hey, dad, could you come in here for a minute? And he hemmed and hawed for a little bit. You know, he didn't quite get right to the point, but eventually he said, Dad, thanks so much for coming in my room last night. I never get too old for that. See, parents, we need to take time, maybe now more than ever, to give our kids some special treatment and let them know that we're loved. As we do that, we need to make sure that we're being consistent with our kids and not showing favoritism. Even unintentionally, accidentally, it can just happen. But our kids need our care and our love and consistency from us now more than ever. It's hard to do because emotions are high and we're tense and we're frustrated and we don't have any of the normal outlets we would usually have. But that's what they need from us and so we need to be the adults in the relationship. Now Jacob didn't do this very well. He didn't help his kids out. And so, because of the favoritism that he showed, his kids were kind of at each other's throats, or more specifically, they were at Joseph's. I have found it particularly helpful when I'm looking at a story, say, from the Old Testament, to ask the question, okay, if this is an example of the bad, what would the good have looked like? based on everything I know from God's word and what he teaches, if this is a story about some bad things that happened, this family that was dysfunctional and broken and had tension and didn't get along with each other and eventually did some bad things to each other, what would good have looked like? What if Joseph's brothers had responded the way God wanted them to respond? What if they had walked closely with God and had a relationship with him And we're asking God for advice on how to handle this situation with their dad and their brother. Even if they didn't like the favoritism that was going on. No one says they have to like it. Even if they didn't like the fact that Joseph was kind of a tattletale. Even if they thought that he was a spoiled brat. And you know, they may have been right in that. What would the appropriate response have been? See, I think that for many of us, we have some tense relationships in our families right now. And maybe it's people that live with you. Maybe it's people that that you're connected to through the phone and, and the internet right now because you can't actually see each other much. But I know that a lot of our families are struggling. And maybe it's relationships between spouses. Maybe it's between siblings or parents and siblings. But I know there's a lot of tension out there. And so I want to ask the question, what does the Bible say our response should be when other people are getting on our nerves? And I want to be clear about something. I am not talking here about abuse. I'm not talking here about domestic violence. I am talking about those people who are just sort of having some friction between them, and they're they're struggling with, how do I not lash out at them in an emotional response that is, is hurtful to them? How do I not do something that is mean and aggravated when they keep pushing my buttons? What's the biblical response? What should Joseph's brothers have done? in responding to the favoritism, and the spoiledness of Joseph, and the tattletale that he was, the Bible says the response needs to be love. I know that sounds really simple, but we're going to unpack that. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8 says, "...most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins." Was it wrong for Jacob to show such favoritism to Joseph over the other boys? Yeah, I think that was, that was inappropriate. That was unfair. That was probably sinful on his part. Was it wrong for Joseph to go tattle on his brothers without first letting them know, hey, I saw this. I don't think this was a good idea. Yeah, that was probably wrong. In fact, Jesus gives us a different way to do that in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, so there were some wrongs there that happened, but 1 Peter 4 says that love covers a multitude of sins, and if his brothers had responded in love instead of animosity, whatever was wrong, what wrong was done by Jacob and by Joseph parading around in his coat and being all, all prideful, that would have been covered and handled and taken care of in a responsible way if the brothers had responded in love. It means that even if we're treated poorly, and again, I'm not talking about abuse situations necessarily. Yes, we should still respond in love, but there's some other aspects of that we're going to get into later in this series. But I'm talking about, they get on my nerves. They push my buttons. They make me angry. How on earth can I respond in a loving way to them? I want to give you a practical thing that you can do, but it starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've probably heard of this passage being called the love chapter. And so if we're going to respond in love, we need to go to the love chapter. We need to find out, what does God say about love? What does it look like? How can I model that in my life in these relationships that are so challenging and so, so tense and so frustrating at times? Maybe they're great a lot of times, but other times it's just like, I have had it up to here. How do I respond in love? Here's what you need to do. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful, or proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, I just want to pause for a minute to admit that I do not live up to the standard of love. It might be easy to think that, well, that's easy for you to say, Adam, you're a pastor. You live your life perfectly and never have a bad day. That is not true at all. In fact, as I was studying this very passage, one of my children was outside my office door screaming like a banshee. And I'm telling you that the thoughts going through my mind in that moment did not reflect this verse. It did not reflect the loving response that God wants me to have. And I'll bet you can relate to that. I'll bet there have been moments over the last few weeks, or maybe this morning, that have caused you to want to respond or actually respond in some unloving ways. So how do we take these principles about love in 1 Corinthians 13 and turn them into something that actually makes a difference in our lives? How do we remember them at the moment that we need to? How do we make sure that at that time where we're about to say something or do something that's unloving, that's mean, that's wrong for us to do, no matter what they did to us, how do we at that moment Make sure that God's principles are in our minds and and involved in determining how we speak to people and communicate and respond in our actions. I want to give you a practical technique that you can use to apply God's word to your life. And this will work for anything, but we're gonna apply it to this situation in particular today. A, A tip, a tool that you can use to make sure that God's word is active and alive and remembered in your life. Because I know that just Hearing me talk about this or reading this passage, this isn't enough. It's too easy tomorrow when that button gets pushed one too many times for you to lash out at that person and not follow this. And maybe sometime later or in that moment, you remember, oh, I shouldn't have done that. How do we make sure that we're applying God's word every day? Here's what you need to do. Every single day this week, maybe you commit to do it for a week, maybe you commit to do it for a month, but every single day this week, I want you to read 1 Corinthians 13, the verses that we just read. I think it's verses four through seven. Read those verses to remember what the Bible says about our loving relationships and what love actually looks like. Maybe you need to print it out. Maybe you need to make a calendar appointment on your phone with that verse in the description. Maybe you need to put it on your bedside table or by your mirror. Whatever you need to do, make sure that you get this passage in front of your face every morning before you interact with other people. That's step one. Step two, start to memorize the behaviors and responses that characterize the love God wants from you. He, he tells us plainly in 1 Corinthians 13, this is what your love should look like. This is how you should love people. And so you need to start to memorize that. And as you read those and internalize them and be intentional, don't just kind of go through it quickly and skim over it and like, okay, yeah, I did it for today. Like really ponder them, meditate on it and start to memorize those behaviors and responses that characterize the love God wants from you step three. This is what's going to happen. You're going to start catching yourself throughout the day when you're not acting that way. You're training yourself, using God's word as a guide to catch yourself and take take captive every thought before it becomes a sinful word or action. This is how you do it. So every day you're reading the passage, you're memorizing the principles, And you're catching yourself throughout the day. And then here's the important thing. You you can't skip this step. At the end of the day, you need to go back and debrief. You need to recap your day. And maybe you do that through a journal. Or if you're not into journaling, you just sit down and you read this passage again. 1 Corinthians 13, the, the first several verses about what love looks like. And here's the important thing. You need to give yourself a score. You need to look at each of these sections Love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous. And you need to give yourself a score from one to ten and say, how did I do today? Was I patient? Did love show up in my patience toward other people? Eh, I'd give myself a seven. Not too bad today. Was I kind? Yeah, I did some really kind things. I'll give myself an eight in that one. Was I jealous? Ooh, I did have some moments of jealousy when I was looking at other people's pictures on social media. I'm going to give myself a four. And you you score yourself every day. And what you're going to find, if you will do this consistently for a little while, is that you are training yourself, you're training your mind to follow God's principles about loving people, and you're going to catch yourself throughout the day. And then over time, your scores are going to get better. This is how, one way, you take God's word and you apply it to your life. Not just to listen to it, not just to say, yeah, that sounds great, but to actually do something about it. If you're struggling in your family right now with some tense relationships and some unloving responses, this is one thing you can do to grow in your walk with God and live the way that He tells us He wants us to live. No matter what your family life looks like right now, even if they're not always acting loving toward you, You can respond to the the craziness, the annoyances, and the frustrations with love. Now let's get back to Joseph for a minute. Because I told you at the beginning that there were some connections between Joseph and Jesus. And that's true here too. And I don't want to leave without touching on those because it's it's pretty um, incredible. Jesus comes from a favored position as the son of God. Just as Joseph had a favored position as the son of Jacob. Now, in the case of Jesus, Jesus is God. He's in the position of Son in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is favored by the Heavenly Father, which makes sense. He's God. He deserves that. Joseph, on the other hand, was favored, but it was inappropriate. He shouldn't have had this kind of favorite status. But Jesus, he's worthy of it. He he deserves to be praised, to be favored. Now, Joseph was mistreated by the people that should have been closest to him. His brothers, his family members should have looked out for him, should have had his back, and instead they actually rejected him. They couldn't say a nice thing about him. They ended up selling him into slavery. It's a horrible, horrible thing. The people who God chose as his special nation, under the family of Jacob, in fact, descendants of Joseph's brothers, those people that make up the nation of Israel, they end up despising and rejecting Jesus Christ. Joseph's brothers couldn't say a nice thing about him. Jesus, with the elders of Israel, they couldn't say a nice thing about him. Joseph's brothers plotted against him to send him off into slavery. And Jesus was plotted against to be killed by the leaders of the nation that descended from these men. Joseph endured a lot of hardships and eventually is credited with saving a lot of people from famine. Jesus endured a lot of hardships, and he saved the entire world from sin. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone experiences that salvation, because not everyone has trusted in Jesus. Joseph saved a lot of people from a food shortage. Jesus makes it possible to be saved from a righteousness shortage See, none of us can do enough to be made right with God. All of us have sinful thoughts. All of us have sinful actions in our lives. And God can't have any of that with him. And so he chose to send Jesus, his favored son, to die for us on a cross. So that we could have a relationship with him. So that he could pay the penalty for our sins. So that when God looks at us, it's not through our own sinfulness that he sees. But it's through Jesus and the death of Jesus on the cross. And the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead. And he conquered sin and death. That allows us to have a relationship with God. Let me tell you about it. It's in Romans chapter 5 that we read, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, that's what I was just talking about, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. That means we have nothing to fear. We don't fear a judgment for all the bad things we've done if we've been saved by Jesus. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. See, it's important that Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive now to represent us before God. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Now I know many of you are already friends of God and so this is an encouraging reminder. But some of you may not be. And in a world where we're all online hopping around to different video streams and and living our lives digitally for a, a great extent, it's very possible that some of you watching don't have a great relationship with God right now. In fact, you've never had a great relationship with God. You've always kind of wondered what that means or what that looks like. And Jesus has made it possible for you to become friends with God. What you need to do if you recognize that you're a sinful person, And you can't be made right with God on your own. There's nothing you can do to make up for any of the bad that you've done. Jesus had to do it for you. You believe in him. You trust in him. You confess your sin to God and admit that there's nothing good in me that should make you wanna have a relationship with me. It's only because of what Jesus did for me that I can have a relationship with you. And you pray to God and you cry out to him and say, God, I trust in you. Jesus, I believe what you did for me on the cross. I believe that you rose again. I want you to give me a new life. I want you to make me a new person. I want to be a friend with God. I want to have that kind of relationship so that I can walk closely with him now in this life and not have any condemnation in the future and spend eternity with him. If you will talk to God and make that declaration and pray that to him, the Bible says you become a part of God's family. It's what we call being saved it's when you truly become a Christian, a follower of Christ, a, a light, someone who's trying to be like Christ in what they're doing. And if you're doing that today, if you're making that decision today, I want to ask you to do three things. Three things you should do. One is, you need to tell a friend who you know is a Christian. They're going to be so excited for you, and they're going to want to support you in this, and they're going to be a great encouragement to you. The second thing you should do is spend some time every day reading the Bible and praying to God. Not because it's some sort of ritualistic duty, but because if you're in a relationship with someone, it's not much of a relationship unless you talk with each other. The Bible is God's way of talking to you, one of his ways of talking to you. Prayer is your way of talking to God. And so if you're going to have this relationship with him, you need to spend time with each other, hearing from him and sharing with him. The third thing I would ask you to do is stay connected to a church. Now, I know many of you are watching this who are not part of our community here. You don't live close enough, and that's fine. Find a good church that teaches the Bible well that you can go to and be connected to that. That is how God designed us to function as his followers in community with the body of Christ. And not just be part of a church, but get into a group where there's a, a few people there, maybe, maybe five, maybe 10, maybe 15 or 20 people in your group where you can connect and know each other well if a church is large like ours is and there are hundreds and hundreds of people, it's too many for you to know what's going on in everybody's lives. And they certainly can't speak into yours. But if you can get with a handful of people within that church to where you're walking through life together and they know what's going on and they can call you out when they see stuff and they know your struggles and they can help you grow, that's the way God designed us to function in the church in what we call the body of Christ. All of us working together. There's one other thing I'll invite you to do. You don't have to, but if you're making that decision to follow Jesus today, let us know. Send us an email at pastor at efree.org. Pastor at efree.org. And let us know. We would love to provide some resources for you and support you and help walk with you through this until we are ready to be able to meet together in person again, which we hope is very soon. Spend some time this week focusing on the love that God wants you to show, regardless of what your family does. And I'm gonna pray for you right now to help us all live this out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it teaches us and the example that we have in the life of Joseph and his brothers, even though it isn't a very good one right now, but how that teaches us what the good should look like. When we go to other parts of your word, we can see that you have designed us to love each other, to respond to things that we don't understand and we don't like and that frustrate us and annoy us with love. be patient and kind, to not be jealous. That's what you want for us. So God, I pray that you would help us to live this out this week. I pray that our relationship with our family would get just a little bit better this week, even though emotions are running high and there's a lot of tension from all the stresses going on around us. Lord, help us to be different because of the difference you have made in our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.